Second John. Second John. Our brother Blair finished the first epistle of John last week. We're going to look at Second John today. If you are able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. The epistle of Second John. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with, <clears throat> be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one as the deceiver and the antichrist, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We recognize and proclaim and affirm that it is inerrant and infallible. God-breathed word of God. Father, we pray you'd open our minds, our hearts to receive it this day with gladness. If there is one here who doesn't know you, open that one's heart that he or she might come to know you as Savior. And Father, for believers here today, may we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. May we worship you through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Please be seated. The date was February the 8th. 1986. The site was Reunion Arena in Dallas, Texas. And the event, it was NBA All-Star Weekend. And that particular night, it was time for the slam dunk competition. Now, entering the finals of that competition were two guys. And they both played for the same team. They played for the Atlanta Hawks. The first guy stood a staggering six feet eight inches tall. He weighed 225 pounds, and by that time he had already earned the nickname 
the human highlight film. You know him as Dominique Wilkins. But the second guy, he only stood five feet seven inches tall, over a foot shorter. He only weighed 133 pounds, almost 100 pounds lighter. And he was a rookie. He was a point guard. We know him as Spud Webb. And if you aren't familiar with basketball, and if you were on the outside looking in, you looked at that situation between Dominique Wilkins and Spud Webb, and it looked like David and Goliath. It looked like Dominique would easily win this competition. I mean, hey, Dominique, bigger, stronger, could get his hands way higher above the rim. I mean, he is the human highlight film. But as the competition started, through the whole competition and even in the finals, little Spub Webb showcased his skills, his leaping ability. The timing, I mean, he threw the ball down, it popped up. He jumped up and caught it and dunked the ball. His movement, his balance, control, his grace, and of course, his power. So, you see, it would have been so easy to overlook Spud Webb in that competition because of his size. He was very, very small. But even though he was small, Spud demonstrated amazing power in that dunk competition. And even though he was the shortest player in that competition, he proved that people needed to pay attention because guess who won that competition? Spud Webb won that competition. He won the trophy. Beloved, I tell you this story because today and even next week, we're going to be dealing with books of the Bible that are considered short and small. These books are 2 John and 3 John. And because of their size, you know what? It would just be so easy to overlook them, to ignore them altogether. But we're going to look at them and we're going to see that God speaks powerfully through these books did you know that 2nd and 3rd John are the shortest two books in the entire Bible? 2nd John has the fewest verses of any book of the Bible. And 3rd John has the fewest words of any book of the Bible. Yet both books are God-breathed Scripture. And as such, it is important for us to study these books and not look over them at all. So we're not going to disregard them. We're not going to push them to the side because they're short or small. Rather, we're going to study them and we're going to absorb the powerful teaching that both of these books bring. Today, we're going to focus just on 2 John. Next Sunday, the 18th, Pastor Daryl's going to come and he's going to preach the short book of 3 John. That's the fewest words. But today, let's zoom in and look on this short, small, yet powerful book. And as we look at 2 John, beloved, I want you to see three things about this book. And this is the way our sermon breaks down this morning. The first thing I want you to see are the basics of the book. Secondly, 
John's command to be watchful workers. And then finally, John's command to have hesitant hospitality. So the basics of the book, watchful workers and hesitant hospitality. Let's zoom in first of all and look at the basics of 2 John. You know, as we study the book of 2 John, we find that its author is John the Apostle, the son of Zebedee. He's the same man who wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote all three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And this book was written right before 100 A.D. It was written in Ephesus to a particular church in the surrounding area. Now, if you'll look back at the beginning of the book, it talks about this book being written to an elect lady. You know, some commentators have said this is a specific lady who has specific children, but other commentators, and I would fall in this latter group, view this not as a specific person, but as a church. One of the reasons I think that is that verse 13 of this book, it talks about a greeting from the elect lady's sister. And that's one way of saying a church in another community sends greetings to you, this church, in this particular community. In fact, even Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, refers to the church in Rome as a she. So this can be taken, this elect lady can be taken as a church in the area. Now some of the other basics of the book of 2 John is that it has similarities with 1 John. You remember when we studied 1 John, we said that John in his first epistle gave us three evidences of being a believer. John said that if you've truly trusted Jesus Christ by grace through faith, if you've repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ and believed upon him by grace through faith, and you are a believer and you're following after God, there's going to be three evidences of that in your life. These were the three evidences in John, 1 John. First was you have love for God and your neighbor. Secondly, that you desire to live righteously. And thirdly, that you have a proper doctrine of Christ. So love God and neighbor, living righteously, and a proper doctrine of Christ. We, we know this. We just went through this several times in 1 John. Believe it or not, in these few verses of 2 John, John repeats all three of those in his second epistle. Let me show them to you. Number one, love for neighbor. Look at verse 5. John says in verse 5, Beloved, it is... <clears throat> I'm in 3 John. I better turn the page back. Done that a couple times this week. <laughs> Been on the wrong page. Verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, at not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but one that we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. Again, you see an evidence of being a Christian, both in 1 John and 2 John. He says one of the evidences is there's going to be a genuine love towards others. We looked at 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient and kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, and that should be flowing out of the believer to the world. The second one is, do you live righteously? John again addresses this 
in 2 John. Look at verse 6. And this is the and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This walk is daily conduct. That a true believer, one who knows Jesus Christ, will be walking in the truth. As 1 John said, walk in the light as he is in the light. Obey his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome for the believer. John repeats that right here in verse 6. He also repeats the third one. Remember, the third one was the doctrinal test. You have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Verse 7 of 1 John reemphasizes that. Look at it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So we see in verses 5, 6, and 7, John gives a summary of his three main points that he gave in 1 John. And it is so important to, to, to emphasize this because John is saying to us, this is the truth about Christianity. This is what's going to be reflected in the lives of true believers. This love for God and others. This desire to live righteously. This proper understanding of who Jesus is Now, again, that last point involved doctrine. And I say that because as we enter into our second point of being watchful workers, I want you to know that John takes this whole idea of doctrine about Jesus and the importance of it, he takes it to a brand new level. Because he teaches us as believers, as the church, to be on guard to be protective of the doctrine that God has given us because false teachers are constantly creeping into the church. So he teaches us to be watchful workers. Look at verses 7 and 8 again of 2 John. Listen for it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh... Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And here's the command. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Have you ever played the game Capture the Flag? Capture the Flag. I was in youth ministry for 15 years before coming here. And I played so much Capture the Flag. It's a, you know, it's a fun game maybe to play in your backyard, in the woods, or in a gym. With my youth group, we played in a gym all the time. And here's what we would do when we played Capture the Flag. We divided up into two teams, okay? And I told the team members that you all have to scatter out, and you have to be actively pursuing the other team's flag, except for one person. Each team can have one person on their team stay back and guard their team's flag. That person is called the flag guard. But everybody else had to be pursuing the other team's flag so you can get it and bring it back and and win the game. So when we would start our game of capture the flag, I'd get my team together, and we would pick a flag guard. 
And I would say to that flag guard, what is your main job? Your main job is to watch the flag. You keep your eye on that flag. Don't get distracted. Don't start looking around and seeing what other people are doing. That's not your job. Your job is to watch that flag. That's your one and only job. You're the flag guard. But then I'd tell everybody else, spread out. And I'd say, hey, let's get a group of people over here on the right. And we're going to send you across to the other team. And your main job is to distract the other team's flag guard. You see, they want their flag guard to watch their flag. But we want them to, we want him to take his eyes off the flag. So this group on the right, I want you to go into the other side, start making noise, start acting like you're going to get the flag, and I want you to distract their flag guard. Because as soon as that flag guard is distracted, as soon as he moves off his spot towards you, I'm going to send in a team from the left. They're going to, they're going to swoop in behind him, and they're going to grab the flag. And sure enough, that's exactly what we did. We started the game, and I would tell my flag guard, watch the flag, watch the flag, watch the flag. And we got our group from the right. Go distract them. Go distract the flag guard on the other side. And as soon as that happened, you know what I did? I sent in the team from the left. They went behind the flag guard, who wasn't paying any attention. They grabbed the flag, and we won the game. You know, that's a game we've all played. It's a game of strategy. It's a game of watchfulness. And we learn through this game that if you are not watchful, you'll end up losing the thing that you hold on to the most. In the game, it was the flag. But in the church, it's the truth of our doctrine. You see, in much the same way, right here in 2 John, as, as John is saying, watch yourselves. He's telling the church to do the job of the flag guard. Keep your eyes on the truth. Don't take your eyes on the truth, off the truth. You're going to be distracted by everything going on around you in this world. But watch yourselves. Because if you don't watch yourself, you're going to lose that which you hold most dearly. You're going to lose the truth of the gospel. You see, verse 7 teaches us why we need to be watchful as Christians. Do you remember what verse 7 said? It said there's deceivers in this world. These deceivers are people who have wandered from the truth, and they now set their goal to corrupt the truth, to take the truth of the gospel away and to lead other Christians astray. Paul went so far in 2 Corinthians to call these false teachers false brethren. Jesus called them false prophets. He said they are wolves in sheep's clothing in Matthew chapter 7. And right here in this passage, John is teaching us to be on guard, to be watchful for those who mislead and corrupt the truth. It is as if John is saying, watch yourselves. Keep your eye on the truth. Don't take your eye off of the truth because the moment you take it off the truth, it will be snatched from you. Now, why is John writing this way? You see, his original readers, they were going through this. 
There was a heresy going on in this church called docetism. We've talked about this a little bit. Docetism comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or appear. And the docetist said Jesus wasn't really a man. He just seemed or appeared to be a man. He would never really have flesh and blood. And in doing so, they were trashing the doctrine of Christ. They were making His work of atonement, of identifying with you and me. They were taking the fullness of that away and replacing it with false doctrine. They were destroying the doctrine of Christ. Let's go back for just a second and think about the text Eric read just a moment ago. He read from Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 3. Let me give you the context of the book of Galatians. The book of Acts teaches us that the apostle Paul got a guy named Barnabas and they went on the first missionary journey. And one of the first places they went was the region of Galatia. And when they got there, they started planting churches there in the region of Galatia. And in planting churches, they, Paul and Barnabas, they taught these churches the pure, undefiled truth of the gospel. They taught them that you're justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That you can't be justified by your works or your merits, but it's by grace through faith in Christ alone. And once they established those churches, Paul and, um, and Barnabas, they, they, they took off. They, went on, they continued their journey on another path. But right after they left, a group of false teachers came to the church in Galatia. They were called the Judaizers. And what they began to do was to mix some of the elements of Judaism with Christianity. And they changed the message of the gospel. They said that you have to have certain works, certain merit badges of righteousness to be saved, whether it's Sabbath keeping or circumcision or observing special days, that works righteousness is going to be part of your saving yourself along with faith in Christ. Well, Paul finds out about this at a later time. And once Paul finds out about this, he writes back to the church at Galatia. You know it as the book of Galatians. And when he writes to the Galatians, he starts out by saying, I am absolutely astonished at you. I can't believe that you deserted the truth of the gospel so quickly and you replaced it with something else, which is no gospel at all. Oh, foolish Galatians, why didn't you keep your eye on the truth? Because you took your eye off the truth and you allowed these deceivers to come in and to change the pure, undefiled gospel that I gave to you. And he taught them that they had a huge misunderstanding about Christianity, that their growth in grace had not taken a step forward, it had taken a step back. And Paul had to come in and teach them once again. You see, in Galatia, the purity of the gospel was exchanged for impure teaching. The truth was exchanged for a lie. Their doctrine was diluted with works righteousness. The church was led astray. They took a step back. And Paul had to start all over again. That's why he said, and we read it a moment ago, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Beloved, I tell you today, 
that there are deceivers still in the church today. The Galatians had the Judaizers, the church that John is writing to had the Docetists. But today, there are still wolves in sheep's clothing. There are still those who will deny from the pulpit the truth of God's Word. They'll deny the divinity of Christ, the miracles of Christ. They will tell you that there is no such thing as hell. They will say that there is no need for repentance of sin because there is no such thing as the depravity of man. They will tell you that salvation is not by grace alone, not through faith alone, and not in Christ alone. So what do we need to do? We need to do exactly what John tells this church to do. Watch yourselves. Pay attention. Do the job of the flag guard. Keep your eyes on the truth. Protect the truth at all costs. Because once you take your eyes off of it, once you get distracted, someone's going to come in behind you from the left and take what you hold most dearly. You know, beloved, as we talk about this whole idea of protecting the truth, we're reminded from the book of Acts and the book of Peter that that's one of the highest callings that an elder in the church has. One of the functions of an elder is to protect the flock. This is what um, we know about uh, shepherding. Peter teaches us in 1 Peter that elders do the job of shepherding. And every good shepherd will always look out for wolves. Every good shepherd will stay awake, will be alert, and will constantly guard their flocks. And to, from time to time, shepherds have to drive out the wolves. In the same way, the elders of the church serve as under-shepherds by guarding the church, by looking out for her interest, for false doctrine, and driving out the false teacher. Paul said it this way in Acts 20. He said this to the elders at Ephesus. He said, be on guard. Be on guard for yourselves and your flock. Savage wolves will come in. Be on alert. Church of the living God. We're to do the job of the flag guard. Keep your eyes on the truth. Don't be deceived by detractors, distractions coming in around you. We need to protect the truth of God. Because thirdly and finally, this gets us to our last point. And this point might even sound confusing on the surface. But John teaches us that false teaching is such a big deal that in certain circumstances, we as a church are to have hesitant hospitality towards them. Look at verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And it's right here, beloved, that we learn that love, even within the church, it can't be naive. It can't be undiscerning. 
We just learned that so much damage can be done in the church when false teaching is entertained and when it's left unchecked. In Galatia, the idea of works righteousness was entertained. And the gospel was defiled. People were led astray. Even Peter got involved in that mess. In our present context, the doctrine of Christ through the docetist was being destroyed. And the view of Christ's atoning work as a man was incomplete. And right here in this text, it's clear. John is is saying that there are some people in this church that he's writing to. They were going to great measures to extend hospitality, to extend overnight stays to the false teacher. They were letting them in their homes. And by the false teacher coming in the homes, these folks, probably without knowing it, they were opening the doors to false teaching invading the church. And that's exactly what the false teachers wanted. So John gives them a command as a loving pastor who has taught them so much about love and loving other people in Jesus' name. He gives them a command. And verse 10 teaches us that the command is to not bring this, to not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Say, well, why would he do that? Why would he say that? You see, if believers were to host the false teacher, it lends credibility to the false teacher. It gives the appearance of affirmation of their false doctrine. Simon Kistemacher said it this way, When a Christian welcomes the false prophet into his home, he agrees to submit to the prophet's instruction and accordingly destroys his own faith. You see, the desire here is to protect the church. Now, this doesn't mean that you should turn away the ignorant. This doesn't mean that you should prohibit even an unbeliever from staying with you. It doesn't even mean that you can't share the gospel with the false teacher. But what it does mean is that we are to keep false teachers out of our homes in order that church, the church might not be destroyed by its false teaching. Now, how does this affect us practically? I will stand here and say that I think today it is much easier to host a false teacher than it was back then. Now, what do I mean by that? You see, back then they actually had to have a person come down the street and stay in their home. Today, information is so readily available that we can bring and host the false teacher in our homes through our TVs, through our internet, through our radios. We can look and hear them on YouTube. We can download them on iTunes. We can go to any bookstore. We can download any book we want on our iPhones. We, do you see how easy it is to host false teaching? And, and John right here is saying, watch yourselves. You've got to watch yourselves. You've got to keep your eye on the flag. It is so easy to get distracted. It is so easy to see the latest fad or what the, the latest and greatest thing coming on the TV set. Watch yourselves. Back in 1 John 
he talked about this a little bit, and he said, test these things according to Scripture. Test these things according to the truth of God's Word. Beloved, if you have questions about things maybe that are coming into your house, into your radio, ask your elder about them. Ask your pastors. Ask me. Ask Daryl. We'd love to share with you about that question. But the point is, there needs to be a limit to the hospitality that we give in this life, specifically as it concerns the false teacher. Did you know all that was in 2 John? Hey, I told you, this book is short and small, but it's packed. It is packed with profound, powerful teaching. And today, we have learned from this one book the message of the importance of truth. Go back and read the, read the first three verses. See how many times you find the word truth. John is all about the truth. And he's telling us the basics of the book. He's telling us that the Christians should be loving one another, living rightly before God, having proper doctrine about Christ. That's the truth of Christianity. He's telling us, number two, that that doctrine is so important, the church needs to guard it. Watch yourselves, he says. The church needs to watch out for the deceiver. Do the job of the flag guard. Protect the truth. Protect what you value most. Because you know and I know the deceiver's coming in from the left side. They'll distract you from the right, and they'll come in from the left. And they'll take what you hold most valuable. They'll take the truth away from you. And as you guard the truth, be hesitant to show hospitality towards the false teacher. Know what's on your TV set. Know what your children and your teenagers are hearing. Know what you're hearing. Know what your spouse is hearing and seeing that's out there on the internet, on the computers, in the books. Because in doing this, beloved, we're living out the truth that God has for us in this life. God does not want us to be naive. He doesn't want us to be undiscerning. So this passage is all about being a discerning, watchful Christian who understands the importance of truth. Pray with me, please. Heavenly 